I'm Dr. Scott Lyons, and you're watching or listening to The Gently Used Human. There are as many realities as there are people, and sometimes those with a juxtaposing perception grow up in the bedroom right next to yours. As humans, we hold so steadfast to our stories as the truth, and when that perception is challenged, it can rock us to our core, and we go to battle to protect our fragile construction of the world as we know it. In this episode, I put that theory to the test as my sister, Nikki Groves, interviews me about my childhood and the origins of my book, Addicted to Drama, which she has never read. We explore what it's like to have opposing realities of how we grew up and reveal to each other the pinnacle moments and stories that shaped who we have become. Sometimes you can be so close to someone and then realize how far away you've been your entire lives. You can cut this tension with a butter knife and some smooth jazz music. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my... No, 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 no. Are you no. shitting me? You be quiet. No, I am... You said that I am interviewing you. So it is me. This is a conversation. Good. I introduced my own podcast. No. Hi, everyone. My name is Nikki Gross. You don't even know the name of my and podcast. And today I am interviewing Dr. Scott Lyons about his book, Addicted to Drama. Now, Scott, how long have you been addicted to drama? Why are you talking like that? Oh, because I smoked weed <laughs> Anyways, before I started. Yeah, you seem pretty <laughs> You had your mama juice? <laughs> That's going to be my first question. Nicole, it's my podcast. It's a conversation. You're not interviewing me. It's a conversation where you ask me questions. Isn't that what an interview is? How high are you? I'm fine. I had two hits. Keep going. It is weed from California, right. though. Okay, so we're ready to start. Shake it off. Oh, my God. I, I got will a start. job interview. And I will introduce you. Okay. Oh, my God. You cannot drink out of a can during this. Maybe they'll want to sponsor me. I'm ready. (laughs) Quiet. Well, I do the introduction. Okay. Can you do that? (laughs) Go. Hi, and welcome back to The Gently Used Human with Dr. Scott Lyons. I am so excited to have my guest for today. I have known her for a very long time. In fact, when I was just a month or two old, she placed a pillow over my face and then sat on the pillow until our parents disrupted the event. So I'm so excited to introduce everyone to my special guest, my sister, Nicole. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, it's really fun to have you, actually, because it's both very confrontational to have someone who I have known who's like a memory holder. We're memory holders for each other. We've known each other for a long time. We can call each other out on our BS. We also, there's something really special about the fact that we have known each other. And and this conversation actually started a couple weeks ago in relation to my book when I called you and I said, we've never really talked about this. Do you think I'm addicted to drama? Which I wrote a book about and even talked about my own addiction and drama, but I'm excited to continue that conversation with you about the book and the the theme of addicted to drama. 
Yes. You are 1 million percent addicted to drama. You are most likely the role model who should be the... Just so we're clear. Did you engage in a little mommy juice before we started this episode? Just a little. I get very shy in front of cameras (laughs) and I need a little confidence. Does does your mommy medicine, and this is is Nikki and I's code that we've Uh often used since she had kids of how she navigates having kids. We call it the mommy juice, which is a little little token of sorts that gives her the, the little boost to get through a day with is it three kids now? Do you have three it kids? It is. It is. It three. is. That's a lot. It is. Yeah. It's too many. Congratulations on way too many. Way you know, too many. I really many. liked your first one and I was good. Yeah. And then you had another one. Mm-hmm. And then that felt like, okay, that's a bit more to juggle with all the names and such. And then you had that third one and I was just like, oof, you got greedy. And now I can't remember their names at all. I did not get greedy. Someone else got greedy. Okay. <laughs> I tried to stop after two babies. My tubes were clamped. The clamps fell off. I got pregnant. Not my fault. It is kind of a miracle story when you think about it. You had your tubes clamped and then that sort of special, you know, at first we thought it was a Jesus baby, a little miracle baby rather, but it turns out, what is it, one in a hundred thousand or one in a couple hundred thousand, a clamp falls off and you get a, a little bit of a surprise. Just a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. So going back to addicted. Oh, going back to you. (laughs) Oh, going back to me. Yes. Because what's funny is, as we were talking, when I asked you, do you think I'm addicted to drama? And when you didn't return the question, I made a statement that I thought as a kid, like now, you know, I would say not so much. But as a kid, I, I really experienced you as sort of having very exaggerated responses, which we'll get into as one of the symptoms of addiction. Okay, drama. that I will admit, and I still do oh, that, but that is the only thing I will admit that I have of the category of drama. Now, what I love is you don't actually know the categories because you didn't no. read my book, and then uh-uh. when I offered to send you an autographed copy of my book, you also refused that. I don't have time to read. (laughs) No. I have bullet points of what the book's about. I hope so. What do they call that? Cliff notes? That would be fabulous. Mom used to bring us to the library to get us the cliff notes for all the books that we read in high school and junior high. Oh, I actually read those books. Oh, I did not. (laughs) You didn't. Well, I... Hope that the library will carry the cliff notes of Addicted to Drama so that you might one day read my book. But That'd be in great. the meantime, you're you're welcome. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm happy to really have a conversation about Addicted to Drama. And, you know, we both grew up in a similar, I would say a pretty similar environment because we grew Mostly, up together. Mostly, yes. <laughs> Mostly, we both have yeah. different perspectives and different memories. We do. And different ways of having navigated. I think it's fair to say we grew up in a a lineage of those who were addicted to drama, whether it's aunts and uncles or grandparents Mm -hmm. or parents, whether we might assign that to different people based on our own experiences. I think it's fair to say we kind of grew up surrounded by people we we could easily say, oof, they got a little itch of the uh, addiction to drama. Can you define what you mean by drama? Yeah, of course. Thank you. 
Yeah, you're welcome, because I know you didn't read the book. Correct. Correct. (laughs) So it is a great place to start, because to define an addiction to drama, we kind of also have to know the symptoms of it. The easy answer to what is an addiction to drama, it's a way of filling the void. It's a way of distracting yourself from the underlying pain and trauma. And what we identify as drama is more in the symptoms of it. So if you and I were to even jump around, like we might think of a a particular relative. Yeah. So we smile because we're thinking of the same one very easily. We could start to just even name some of the the qualities of that person. Like they make mountains out of molehills. They make a, a bigger deal out of something that doesn't make sense as to why the response is so big. And feel free to jump in whenever. They pull people into their crisis. This is a very significant feature of those addicted trauma. Like, you know, on the outside of that person, you might find yourself going, whoa, what just happened? How the hell did we just go from zero to 100 in like the blink of an eye? How did we get here? And why am I involved in this story? I know. Every time. (laughs) Every time. And also making everything about themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a way in which like if you were sick, this person might say, oh, why are bad things always happening to you? It's so hard to watch which is, you know, (laughs) one of my favorites, Uh they really find themselves consumed in social media, comparing themselves to other people. Oh, we're not supposed to do that? (laughs) Okay, for real. Like everyone right now is going on spring break trips and it's really cool to see everyone's trips, but you still feel a little sad that you can't afford it. Sure. So does that make me addicted to drama or human Oh, I see. I see. You're trying to get confrontational. Mm-hmm. I would say the confrontational nature of what you're trying to do right now is more addicted to drama. Trying to stir shit up on my podcast and throw I'm it back not. at me. I'm talking about. Oh, me. I caught you. <laughs> huh? That's a rare thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's fun to be able to jab at a sibling. I will say that. I think like I know, there's right? a one of my favorite things about having you as my sibling, and there's not a lot, Mm-mm. but one of my favorite things. <laughs> Is that because of the provocative environment we grew up in, which I would say is absolutely part of an addiction to drama, it's the provocative humor was very much what I would call the currency of love in our house. And like the funnier you you were, the more attention you would get. And I'm sorry as a kid, you weren't very funny. I know, but as an adult, I am. So now I I get it. Yeah. You're wondering why I got all the attention as a kid. Well, I gave you the attention. Honestly, I would have rather hidden in the closet. I was so shy. You mean the bathroom? Yes, that is my favorite place to hide. (laughs) So for those who are listening, my sister has a, yes, her favorite place to hide. History of hiding in the bathroom. Yeah. Whenever there's a confrontation, my favorite is like that one time you passed a note to your husband about something you were upset with and then went and hid in the bathroom to avoid the confrontation of having to talk about it. Those aren't the memories that I have of the bathroom. The first one, when I was on the (laughs) swim team and I was too afraid to do the backstroke, so I hid in the bathroom and then mom and dad had to come and try to get me out and I missed the whole first race. 
And then yeah. the second time I hid in the bathroom was when I was supposed to give birth to my daughter, my firstborn, and I was too scared. So I just hid in the bathroom. Yeah. Then eventually yeah, they made good. me come out and give birth. Give birth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that. It was, that was um, pretty bad. Yeah. I remember being told that you were hiding to avoid the pain. Birth. Dude. Hello. Oh. It's like a watermelon mean, coming out of an orange hole. That's probably the best graphic image I've ever heard description of what yeah. it's like to give birth. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yes. And if you're interested, I have stories about you. Videos. No, stories about you and your drama. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get there. We'll okay, get there. Okay, good. We're still talking about how you like to hide in the bathroom. Yeah, it's part of life. And don't forget that time when you were at a dance recital and you ran off stage and went and hid in the bathroom. I was four. What do you want from me? I'm just saying it's been a lifetime of the bathroom being your sanctuary. I know. I wonder why. We'll analyze that later. I did oh, go okay. to school for that. And we'll get to that. We've talked about this before, and we named some of the aspects externally of an addiction to drama. We've been naming, like, look, we both can acknowledge we grew up in an ecosystem of where there was a lot of intensity, exaggeration, and, and chaos at times. And one of the interesting things in, in my research I talk about in the book was in families, in response to that, some family members join into the fight join into the drama and the chaos and sort of exist in that way of not drowning from it by like joining into it. And others find this sort of collapse or pull on the brakes a bit and and they become really complacent and they become really hidden or locked down at times. It's a, it's a means of survival. Yes, that is me. Yeah, and it's interesting because we grew up in the same house, but we had different strategies of surviving the chaos and surviving the sort of drama, even though we both, I think, came out having certainly an enjoyment for the provocative humor. We like similar movies in that way, and like when we're hanging out together, there's certainly an inappropriateness in our humor that I wouldn't unleash to most people. No, and it's from our Bobby. Bobby gave it to us. It started oh, with say, Bubby. I would say that, yeah, I would say, so Bubby is a Yiddish word for grandma? I think Jewish. He, Jewish, well, that's, you mean, yeah. They okay. are not the, the same. Cultural, the, okay, thank you for, uh-uh. thank you for that cultural lesson. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah, it, it was absolutely, I think I would say, I would definitely say it was on both sides of the family and because yes. there was different ways in which that intensity existed you know, on on one side of the family, the there was such an extreme reactionary behaviors, I would say on both sides, but more on one side than our sort of dad's lineage. Provocative humor, like I was saying, was the exchange of love. How you, sh- like if you weren't teasing someone, you weren't demonstrating love. There's not a lot of softness all the time in that. It's not to say there wasn't softness too and tenderness, but certainly when you, as a kid, you're learning like, oh, that's that's the that's how you show love is through intensity and through provocative humor, and that becomes a love language. That's interesting because Popsy used to say to me like, "Come here, ugly. Come here, stupid." And I just thought he was an asshole, but turns out maybe that was how he expressed his love inappropriate maybe it was both maybe it was both (laughs) 
don't know, you know, but yes, that idea of teasing. I want to take a moment to give a loud shout out to The Embody Lab, which is uh, one of the most incredible resources for body-based and somatic therapies. This show is all about healing, and The Embody Lab does exactly that. Whether you're on your own journey of transformation and discovery, or enhancing your skill sets in your career as like a coach or a therapist, a body worker, or really any career where you are supporting other gently used humans, the Embody Lab is your place for deep, inspiring and impactful workshops, certificates, masterclasses, and an incredible community of like-minded folks. I love the Embody Lab. And so do so many other people that call it a platform to come home to over and over again. The Embody Lab is giving my listeners an exclusive offer, a one-time 10% off code to enhance your embodied well-being. All you have to do is go to theembodylab.com and use the code GENTLYUSE10 at checkout. So again, like we we came out with, we share a love language of provocativeness, but I will go after something and engage in the fight and have had a significant tendency of the exaggeratedness, the intensity that we grew up in. And you have hidden a lot of bathrooms. Yes. (laughs) I'm also very judgy of bathrooms for that reason. I need to know if they're clean because if they're not clean, I don't want to hide in them. Oh, you're judgy about the bathroom. Yeah. I thought you were saying judgy as a general quality of you. That's not my experience of you. No. No, I think you tend to try to see the good in people, which is a very sweet feature that- Makes me no money. Oh, because you're a teacher. (laughs) See, I think if I was like a badass or like someone who loved to fight to people, I think I'd make more money. You mean if you had gone in the pathway I had, which was like join into the tornado, into the Correct. storm approach. Instead of trying to calm a, the storm. You did a lot of caretaking in that way. Like I, I definitely remember you growing up as trying to mediate the storms and trying to settle people and ended up in the middle, I would say, a lot. Yes. And that continues and to this still. day. Yeah. <laughs> which is so yes, fun. Does. It's fun to be the referee of mm-hmm. families and the price it does cost on one's own nervous system to have to be attending to other people so much. And it's interesting, like I, I hear you like made a career out of it. You know, my first career of many <laughs> was in the arts where I made a career of creating spectacle of creating these experiences for people to go through big emotions and journeys and roller coasters. And being born. Remember once you had a woman coming out of like either an egg or a parachute to give birth? That woman was me that you're thinking of. And it was... (laughs) And I came out of a trash can. I was was reliving my birth experience and my birth trauma on stage for people. Were you there? I was. Or did you just hear about it? No, I you went to there. a lot it of was... your stuff. I didn't oh, have wow. a choice. I'm sorry for that. Tell me when it's story time. <laughs> oh my God, you're terrifying. <laughs> you should. That dance that you're doing is also terrifying. 
The joy of being the podcast host is that I'm actually in control. Oh. So we might not get to story time. Who knows? Do you know how long it took me to come up you. with stories? I have four. You have four stories. Of, four is stories. it just me or is it family members too? No, this of, is just you. Addiction? Okay. Would you like to tell a story now? I you seem would. excited and eager. I would. Yep. <laughs> okay. Did you write these down? I did, of course. And they are all okay. different aspects of drama. So that's okay. the kind of cool part. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So then you'll have to, you know, describe which category you think it falls in. You mean like how it relates to the symptoms of an addiction to drama? No, I think there's different kinds of drama. I think there's the kind oh, where okay. you're being the biggest drama queen in mm-hmm. the world for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's mm-hmm. other kinds where you're just, like you said, over-exaggerating everything to get... Attention. Story number one. Story number one. Let's do this. So when we were little, we went camping at Yosemite. And oh my God, you're telling this story? <laughs> oh, they're all pretty bad. This Don't is, worry. This is a severe trauma, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's the point. So we're sitting okay. around the campfire roasting marshmallows, and my dear brother mm-hmm. Scott was being a little hyper, maybe a little obnoxious, and running around. And there is a chain from the ground to the campfire ring holding it down so it's safe. So you were running around and you fell and tripped over the chain and fell into the fire. And for many, many years, here's the drama part. You told the world that mom pushed you in the fire. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's what she told me. No, I was there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I told people that she pushed me into the fire? Yes. Oh, it's wow. like I'm that's saying, really because intense. you wanted the it's attention. Like, I hear that that's the... And, and this is an interesting thing we can definitely talk about is often from the outside, we have this interpretation of what the reasoning is behind someone's sort of intensity and exaggerations. And that's the interesting thing, because on the outside, there's all these ways we identify an addiction to trauma. But on the inside, it feels totally different. It feels like the world's constantly against you. It feels like you're out of sync with the world. It feels like if you let your guard down, something bad is really going to happen. It feels like in order to be seen and heard, you have to be at a certain volume. And because of the way that you're perceiving the world, which is a response to trauma and pain often, is that the filter to which we experience the world is like the gauge is more open, the aperture is more open. So more sensory information is coming in to because you need more information to protect yourself from the next trauma. So the intensity to which we experience something is actually true to our experience, but it makes no sense on the outside. It seems like why are they using a fire hose to blow out a birthday candle? Right. And that is my next story. <laughs> oh, that's your next one when I blew out a... <laughs> no, but blowing things out of proportion. Yeah. So this the one, to me, felt like it wasn't you blowing things out of proportion. Maybe in your mm-hmm. heart and in your head, you've thought that's what really happened. So that's what you told everyone. Mm-hmm. But the next yeah. one yeah. is a fire hose to a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it actually at my birthday party? No, I'm just using the same metaphor you oh. did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love so that metaphor. This it's a one, good one. Okay. 
This was when you were in high school, and you were and your friends uh-huh. were going to do a protest or go somewhere, and you needed to make all these signs. And you were mad mm-hmm. and upset and just hurt that mom and I would not help you make these signs and then drive you there. Uh-huh. So what you did is you went in the kitchen, uh-huh. took out a bunch uh-huh. of canisters of yogurt, threw them everywhere, <laughs> and that wasn't enough for you. So then you got, I think it was a butter knife or a steak knife, and started carving into the cabinets. What I hear you saying is I was expressing my emotions and my experience onto the house like a canvas, and the yogurt and the knife was my paint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually brush. have zero memory of this. You're lucky. <laughs> The yogurt, I have no memory of this. But it's, it does remind me of something called weaponized empathy, which is something those who have an addiction to drama. And again, like addiction to drama is on a spectrum. We all have some propensity to do things like what I'm about to talk about. Weaponized empathy is like an eye for an eye. You know, it's a way of saying, like when you're hurting, when I was hurting as a kid, I could have gone and just ended things. That was certainly true at some points in my life. But there were other moments where I was hurting so bad and I wanted to be rescued. And to get the attention, to the belief system was that to get rescued, I would have to get people to a place of understanding the state I was truly in. I do remember in high school, my freshman year, I was, I mean, we went to the same high school and you you knew some of it. I was getting shoved in lockers. I was getting beat up. I was getting threatened all the time. Teachers were telling me I was stupid. There wasn't a transfer of my IEP. What does IEP stand for? Individual, individual education, education plan. plan. Yeah. yeah. And so like they thought the ways I would do math, like I would get the answers a good portion of the times, but the papers were chaos. They didn't make any sense. And so they thought I was messing with them. They didn't understand like the way I organized in the world was funky, but it wasn't a way of trying to stir shit up in the class. And I was in a lot of pain. And I write about this in the book about, well, I did have attempts in my life of, of trying to end my life. You know, which I don't think you and I have ever talked about. So it's 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 kind of intense to talk to you about it now. But there was also a point where I created and, and faked an attempt. I set the stage for a one of the times because I wanted to be saved. I wanted and and the idea was unless they knew the pain I was in, they couldn't save me. And so I created a condition, I created a scene to which I believed they would know the depth of pain I was in. If the students at school believed that I was dead or that I had really gone to that to the level of trying to harm myself, and the teachers believed that and, and our parents believed that, that finally someone would come in and rescue me from the pain. And there's a way with those of us with an addiction to drama where because so, you know, in typical empathy, like I, I find you someone who has a lot of empathy. Yes. Which requires vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable to enter into the, the shoes of someone else, to feel what they're like. And for you to, to share something back to that person, they also have to be vulnerable. They have to be able to receive your connection with them. 
And for those with addiction to drama, that's impossible because that vulnerability would feel like, does feel like a threat. It feels like if they let their guards down, if they come and release a little bit, then they're going to be in the depth of pain of that trauma that's hiding underneath those walls. And so weaponized empathy is when you can't actually be in the vulnerability of someone meeting you in your experience. You have to create it. You have to put them in the position of feeling that experience that in a lovely way, it'd be like joy, but often it's hurt and pain. I can see how I did that a lot now. I didn't even recognize that that's what it was until I was working with clients and patients later as a psychologist. That I was like, why? why?" I would say things to clients who very much fall in this, this spectrum of an addiction to drama. And I would say, oh, that's so heartbreaking that they couldn't meet you like that. And they were like, yeah, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they would just keep talking <laughs> over the empathetic statements. And I was like, why can't they receive me? Right. right. Because why can't they take in somebody really witnessing and empathizing with them? Because it's impossible. It's too vulnerable. It's unsafe. Or it sparks this like internal sense that like this is unsafe. And so to get you to know where I am or to feel in sync with me, I'm going to create the conditions where I believe you will be in that pain. Did you have more stories though before we continue yes. on to that? You seem okay. so excited and proud of your I stories. Am. I didn't want to. Now, these stories don't ex- go past high school, right? In, oh, no. This one's 10 years ago. Is that okay? okay. okay. So okay. when I was 20? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> 10 years ago. Go on. It was December. Mm-hmm. And my daughter had mm-hmm. her Hanukkah concert at the Jewish Community Center. And my brother flew okay. in. Can we from just New have York? a moment for I love I love your daughter? Yeah. Because she is the best and the worst of us. Oh I mean, I'm not God. I'm not her dad. She's but exhausting. Like, she, but she's brilliant. And I love this goes back, and I'll let you tell the story in a moment. This goes back to how we had the same sense of humor, which could only, I truly believe our twisted sense of humor could only arise out of the bizarreness of our childhood that we yes. went through together. So your daughter, I don't know, she might have been six or seven, called me and it was like uncle scotty you know in her sweet sweet villainous way that she mm-hmm. that she exists and she was like i'm doing this book fair and i am trying to raise money and if if i get 100 dollars total i get to have a private bowling party with me and my friends and the principal and i said oh my gosh julia that sounds amazing and I was like, why don't I just send you a check for $100? And she was like, oh, Uncle Scott, that's so amazing. This is going to be such a great you know, thing. And I, and I sent her the cash because I was like, oh, she's not going to be able to cash a check. So I sent her the cash. And about a month or two later, I remember I called you and I said, hey, how did the bowling party go? And you said, what are you talking about? And we figured out that she did that same scam to each of her grandparents and other relatives and was banking money. She had like several, several hundred dollars, like maybe a grand from scamming all of us. And I remember we both basically said at the same time, 
I'm so proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. That's like, genius. It's genius. Like a six-year-old so. figuring out, like, I mean, you know, she's either going to be president mm-hmm. or a CEO with right. that type of genius. Or a you lawyer. Know, capitalism. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh lawyer. wow, you went there. I'll well, just, I think yeah. she is going to be a lawyer. She was going to be an anesthesiologist, but then realized she is scared of blood. Do you want to oh, know why do, do she wanted to be an anesthesiologist? She was going to be an anesthesiologist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because it's the easiest job that you can make the most money. Because you Which just is not sit true there. at all. I know, but on TV, but I remember her- you just sit there during the <laughs> surgery playing crossword puzzles and making buttloads <laughs> of money. It is true. I mean, the but the buttloads of money. No, yes. to all the anesthesiologists out there, thank Very you for your sorry. work. Very sorry. Yes, you've helped me with my three <laughs> children. Thank you. I only got yelled at and, once. But they were ma- they were mostly doing crossword puzzles while they were helping you with your three children. Was that before or after you were hiding in the bathroom? Did they come into the bathroom and give no. you the? I anesthesi- finally came out of the bathroom, and then he yelled at me. The anesthesiologist. See, they have hard jobs, but Am I your, to your swear? daughter was going around. Yeah, you can swear. Okay, so he walked in and he said, are you ready for me? And I said, fuck yeah. He goes, young lady, do not swear. My bad. Really? Yeah. Now, were you on your mommy juice then too? No, I had nothing. He didn't give me any medicine yet. Oh, yeah. because that was his job. It was, that's, that's what his job, yes. just do. They have a job. Yes, I don't like being hard. in pain. <laughs> But going back to, to oh, how this concert. even began. Okay, no, my turn. No, no, no. We'll, we'll get turn. to Julia's concert. But but Julia was going around asking everyone, as like a, a seven-year-old, yes. what is the job where you can make the most amount of money for the least amount of work? Yes. What this, is weird this... about that? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Okay. Continue with your story. Thank you. So, mm-hmm. my brother flew in from New York, and the kids were so excited to see him. He gets out of the car and has a TIA. So, you're flopping all over. Dad had Wait, to carry you, you. Julia had to carry you. You are literally Finny. saying my TIAs were over-exaggerated? Yes, because I've had a Wait. TIA, and I was in a swimming pool, and I was able to walk out of I the swimming, swimming pool, pool get my kids dressed, and drive them home for nap time. You couldn't even walk Before in you the went door. to the hospital. I didn't go to the hospital for like three weeks. I got in trouble by <laughs> my doctor. Either. What's the point? What are they going to the do? first one. Yeah. So you were falling all over. On a spectrum. Yes. Some of them are more severe than others. No. You were upset that Julia was getting all the attention. So you wanted to get some attention. You fell out of your chair. Nicole. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we will agree to disagree (laughs) on that story. I will say yes to the yogurt spectacle. Was it Greek yogurt? I don't think they had Greek yogurt back then. In Greece, they didn't either? I don't think anyone in Greece eats Greek yogurt. (laughs) We're going to get so much hate mail just from that comment. Thank you. I'm excited. Okay. So, no, I'm going to veto that story. Rude. Well, then I do have one last one. It is interesting. Hold on a second. Okay. It is interesting that, like, when when someone does have, it's like the boy who cried wolf story. When there is a history of exaggeration and or what's perceived as exaggeration, 
then it's hard to really identify like in the moments where it's maybe more authentically like someone is flopping around because they had a TIA. That does make sense though. <laughs> the boy who cried <laughs> you mean that? I mean, it's true. Yeah. You're always so over dramatic about everything that it just I seemed like you were faking it. Or I was. Both. I am or I was? Both. I'm going with both. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, continue on. Thank you. I guess you. this was what I welcomed onto my show. This is what you wanted. Mm-hmm. You wanted Oh, I this. wanted. And for those who are just listening to audio, because oh, it's a podcast, Nikki. My bad. When she says this, she's doing a seductive <laughs> dance of Correct. herself, which is awkward. Correct. Because I am indeed her brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for You're that. You're welcome. Are you ready for the last story? I'm actually not sure. <laughs> But okay. This one's not bad. This is like the best one. Oh, it's not bad? Oh. No. So when we were little, we had to move back from California back to Minnesota. So we were born in Minnesota. Then my parents thought I was allergic to Minnesota. Oh, I see the drama there. Okay. <laughs> my parents thought we were, I was allergic to Minnesota. So they moved us to California. Turned out I was allergic to to dairy. This was before food sensitivity testing, I Correct. think. It wasn't really cool no. like we do now. No, not at all. Yeah. So I had to get files and files of blood to find that out. Yes, the 80s were hard. Yeah. So our dad had this very booming business, and then 91 hit and the recession hit, so he lost his business. We went back to Minnesota to be with our family. Now... That is why we moved back. For some reason, my brother thought that the mafia was after our family, and that's why we had to move back. So that's what he told to everyone. So to me, that is also drama. First of all, yes. you know very well that mom and dad told us that no. to protect a particular secret no. that I will not reveal on this show. Correct. And They did correct. not tell us about and the I, mafia, though. They 100% said people were after us, that it was unsafe, that people were being Mm -mm. violent, at least about, we have a very different childhood experience. I I remember very I was there. But Nicole, when I confronted them about it last year. I was with you, yes. That's right. I waited 30 30 some years to be like, hey, this story doesn't actually make sense. Correct. And they said, the first thing they said to me is, oh, we never ended up telling you the truth. So they admitted it, and then I called you, and I was like, (laughs) you're not going to believe that I'm going to spill the tea on mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And they told me that this was what the truth actually was, and you Mm -hmm. said, oh, I knew that. Yeah. But you didn't. And you said they never told you the actual truth? No. So I just want to point out that I was told some false information. I may have exaggerated the story of it in my mind, but I definitely do recall them saying that we need to watch both ways, that we're not allowed to tell anyone we're leaving because there were people who dad owed money to as part of a bankruptcy. And so, yes, as a child does, they they may start to fill in the gaps of information with like, oh... That must mean like there's bad people after us. I've seen movies where bad people are after us. Yes, as a kid, I think we we tend to fill in the gaps 
and, and not realize it. As adults, we do that. I mean, that, yeah. that's part of how memory works. We're actually only taking in about 20% of what's happening in the present moment. And the rest of the 80% is being filled in by our pre-expectations of what the future holds and the past memories. It's called cognitive shortcuts. It's a way of- I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you make that up? It it makes- No. No. Oh, it's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. Whoever came up with that, you are a genius. I didn't come up with it. It's part of our evolution. Because my IQ is higher than yours. So then I'm the genius compared to you. And when you're on your mommy juice, your IQ sounds so much higher than me. (laughs) So much higher. (laughs) Oh, that was really devastating as a kid. I mean, I was jealous of you. But part of the ADHD and like the inability to focus and, and really feeling like there was a next threat around the corner constantly. And I felt that, like, I couldn't name it, but I felt it in my body as anxiety and constant discomfort. And I remember when the psychologist pulled mom aside and said, like, how concerned they were of how low my IQ was and how much higher your IQ was. And I just remember, I did feel jealous, actually. And I was like, it also doesn't make sense. (laughs) I was like, I know I'm smarter than this. But there's, and I remember even saying, like, there's something that's getting... I couldn't take a test I, and I couldn't figure out what was in my way. And they gave me all those those ADHD medications. And I remember saying often, I was like, I don't feel like myself. I feel right. like I'm being controlled. When I got off the meds in elementary school, late elementary school, early junior high, I started to feel like a, myself again. A lot of those symptoms, especially the reading disabilities and stuff like that, it it really kind of cleared up as I started doing more trauma work. Oh, so you're saying my brain will fix itself once I actually confront my trauma instead of hide in the bathroom? (laughs) I mean, maybe there's a titrated way to do this. Maybe we can get a trauma therapist to join you in the bathroom. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Therapy in the bathroom. Why didn't yes. anyone ever think <gasps> of this before? We've coined it right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, plagiarizing. it's trademarked. Trademark, that's the word. Nope. Trademark, that's the word you're looking for, yeah. I actually went to go try to get a trademark. It was $7,000. Trademarks are expensive. Yeah. What were you trying to trademark? I didn't know this about you. You didn't? So I went to a patent no. office and I designed this really cool thing. I used to bake a lot of brownies and it bothered me that the sizes <laughs> wait, were Wait, wait, wait. Mommy juice brownies? No, mommy real juice ones. Brownies. Real ones. Sure. And it bothered real me ones that, with the, mommy juice. <laughs> that the sizes weren't all the same. So I designed something that after it got done cooking, you would just go up and down with like a little grid with handles yeah. and then be, be the perfect yeah. size. Um, I did not have the money to make the patent. However, someone made up something just like that. And then mom got that me that for Hanukkah. (laughs) It was like, hey, sorry, you didn't make yours, but here's someone else's. You know, I remember one of my favorite memories of you and your exaggerations was when I got a call at like, I don't know, two in the morning. I pick up the phone and it's our parents and they're laughing. They are laughing. And I was like, is everything okay? And they're like, no, your sister ate too many mommy juice brownies. And she wants us to call the the ambulance because she said she's dying. Mm -hmm. That she's just, 
that she's on the floor. This is the end. And she's Mm -hmm. telling us her will. (laughs) She's going through what she wants in her funeral. Yep. I heard you in the background and they are just laughing. But I was very and calm now, about it. No, no. Yes, you were I was very not. calm and matter of fact. I crawled into their bed. I said, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. to tell you, but my heart is stopping. So I'm going to be dying soon. <laughs> and mom just cuddled me and said, come here, honey. That's okay. You could just die in my arms. I was like, oh, all right, cool. That's very sweet. That, I thought so. That's very sweet. Yeah. So then I went to sleep and well. then I woke up sober. <laughs> Do you think if those brownies were cut evenly, you would not have had such a like a toxic response? Most likely. We made brownies with way too much weed in them. It was not the right ratio. I think you mean mommy juice. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, but FDA. But it sounds like you... Isn't that who controls the radio no, waves? not the no? FDA. We'll edit FCA? that one out, too. It's all good. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> Are you going to have anything left after you edit everything out? Probably the introduction. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> Mine or yours? Mine. Oh. <laughs> we have some time left, but what would you say, like, what have been your learnings about addiction to drama from our conversation so far? And knowing you'll never read the book. I think I or might. Or listen to the audio. You might? Now might. that I've talked about it? Yeah. Because mostly because you but- won't tell me how to cure it. So now I'll have to oh, read yeah, it. I forgot we were going to. That's called a tease, Nikki. Like, you, oh. you can't give it all away. Oh. Else, no one's going to buy the no book. No one's going to buy no the cow. no one buys the book, I don't know what you mean if by you a cow. If you give the milk away for free, no one's going to buy the cow. Wow. That's probably the most profound thing I've ever heard you say. Thank you. Did you get a PhD in philosophy? I did. Uh-huh. Actually, <laughs> I, o- <laughs> I almost have my PhD, but I kind of did it the trickster way. This show is also brought to you by the absolutely stunning and powerful tools for transformation that are created by Omala. Oof, even the name Omala transports you to a place of flow and vitality. These are some of my favorite products ever, like an amazing color-changing yoga mat that responds to your temperature and presence and reflects back your posture in real time. They have this incredible smelling skin balm candle that heats up to activate all the essential oils and vitamins that your skin has been craving for. I mean, look, if I could live in a giant bath of this candle, I would 100% do it. They also have these journals that lead you into a profound insight, and then you can plant those journals to create a stunning flower garden. I mean, damn. If that's not both deep and inventive, I don't know what is. If you're someone who desires to live in a luxurious flow of life and who believes in transformative wellness, then you have to check out Omala. Omala is giving my listeners an exclusive discount to treat yourself to something that is as special as you, boo. All you have to do is go to omala.com, that's O-M-A-L-A.com. Use the discount code DRSCOTT10 at checkout. And a portion of every purchase goes to an incredible charity. You got this. You mean, as a teacher, I remember you saying to me that 
So if you go all the way to your PhD but never actually finish, mm-hmm. you basically get the same amount of money. Correct. And I don't have to do all that hard work. Plus, yeah. I don't want to write a book or a dissertation. No one cares what I have to say. No. Oh, I would agree. Oh, my God. <laughs> So what I've learned from this conversation is you're what a have you dick learned? to the drama. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yep. did your husband help you come up with that one? And nope, you've been I holding it, it the whole session? That was All so on your good, own? though. Yep. Mm-hmm. By the way, the genius thinking of working a system to get go all the way to your PhD, but not finish to get paid the same. Do you see the resemblance now in your daughter of working... The family members to uh, as a, a five or six year old to get a thousand dollars. No, because I'm just lazy and poor. Hers is like just <laughs> drama. I think there's a difference. Hers is drama. Yes, mine is lazy and poor. She loves the drama. Yes, don't have oh teenage daughters, people. You know, mom once told me that teenagers invented drama. Invented drama? What do you mean? I don't know. She was probably on Mommy Juice, too. Oh, most likely. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it's its true. It's like, I think a lot of people mellow out later in life. The propensity towards using drama to avoid their trauma kind of simmers down a little bit. Not always. There's, We certainly have relatives who never simmered that drama. Oh, my God. Should I tell the story of Thanksgiving? I don't remember. There's a lot of stories. There was a lot of things. Which stories. relatives? The one, I rem- the one I remember was this. There was some teasing going on, or as we like to call it, affections of love. You know, it's funny because they can dish it, but they can't take it, which I think is also very much an aspect of addiction and drama. They can stir things up, but when right. other people stir things up, there's no tolerance for it. Oh, you that's know, they hate very the drama. true. They yes. hate the drama with lots of exclamation marks. But I always say that. Yeah, I know. Awkward pause inserted. (laughs) It's funny in that way because I think a lot of people hate the drama. Why would you want more suffering in your life consciously? But the thing is, is an addiction to drama is not about making conscious choices. But it's essentially about how do we, I like to say, it's not about making sense. It's about making sensation. That sensation takes you above the threshold of numbness that you have existed in as a way of protecting yourself from the drama or clamping yourself down to not be pulled into other people's drama, as you know so well. And so it's a lot about making, chasing sensation, creating, stirring things up to feel alive. Because when you feel like a walking ghost in the world, when you're numb, depressed, however we want to say it, You'll do anything to both avoid the pain and feel like you exist, like you matter, that you have purpose, that you deserve to be here on this planet. And even if that's gossiping or, you know, making trouble, it's a way of doing that. You know, if you exist in a a world in a way like your internal world is looking for constant threat and it's not or constant chaos, like if you know, we we both grew up in a lot of chaos. Like that that was the environment we internalized. And so to go into like a meditation center would feel like the exact opposite of that. So you will start to seek or create the conditions that that so that the internal environment matches the external environment. 
So the internal and external feel in sync. So you don't feel so out of sync with the world anymore. Right. And that's an important piece of like how and why addiction to drama happens, why the drama keeps occurring. You get that dopamine hit every time you feel part of someone or part of something. So you pull people into your crisis that you hate, but you unintentionally created or sought or created the conditions so it would happen. And you feel a sense of belonging. And and so you have this brain chemistry that says, oh, that's so much better than feeling isolated and alone and out of sync with the world. Right. Or you feel powerful. You know how you've, after you've done like a really good workout Mm -hmm. and you feel like, ah, I feel strong or have you ever actually gotten angry? Yes. Or rageful? Yes. You have. Okay. But I'm on medicine, so it shouldn't be happening very often. This is in addition to your mommy juice. Yes. Brownies. Okay. Thank you for your vulnerability of sharing that. You're so, welcome. So I am on Zoloft due to depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, are you writing that down? I, uh, no. Oh. Are you writing? I saw you texting while I was talking. No. I know. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, I wasn't writing it down. I have it memorized. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I like to I like to keep track of <laughs> mm-hmm. of people. It's my love language. Oh yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So, you know, I say all those pieces because it's important to in healing an addiction and trauma to really understand its origins, what it looks like on the outside, what it feels like on the inside, and why it occurred. And to heal an addiction and trauma means that we have to we have to stop the reflex of revving ourselves up into a stress response. And it's so intrinsic to who we are, it's hard to stop. We don't even necessarily realize all the ways we might rev ourselves up. Like we might think about an argument we had with someone, or we might share the same emotional story with a lot of people, or we might find ourselves in a thought bind, like, oh, I need this house cleaned But if I paid someone, that would mean I'm lazy, but I don't have time to clean the house. And so that's a thought bind. We're in tension. We're in stress. Those are ways of keeping ourselves revved up away from settling, away from calmness. Starting to bring awareness to all the ways we don't allow ourselves ease or calmness. A really great and easy way to see that is like, try a two-minute meditation and see all the ways you pull yourself out of settling your weight and your presence into this moment. Right. We might call it ADHD. We might call it anxiety. We might call it a lot of different things. But notice the mechanisms, the behaviors that take you up and away from the possibility of settling. Because remember, settling brings you closer to the things you haven't metabolized and digested in your life. I like that. Now I have a question for you. You're going to write that down? No. Oh, okay. Okay. So my daughter, who is obviously addicted to drama, are you saying mm-hmm. that she- Are we she... allowed to say that? Yes, I'm a doctor. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Almost. <laughs> almost. I'm almost a doctor. I'm like one credit off. Plus, I never got into the program. I just did a million continuing ed classes. If anyone's wondering oh, wow, how to really do it. you really work the system? Yes. Yes, I did. You start your own podcast about like how to manipulate the system as a teacher. I know. I totally should. Okay. So are you saying that she had trauma in her short little life or do you think it's genetic? It's a really great question because it can be a genetic piece. Like that level of – like anxiety is passed down. 
children of those who were interfacing, who had an experience of 9-11, showed higher rates of anxiety, but didn't actually have the event to relate it to, like their their parents did. Right. Okay. And so it's a lot of things. It's it's childhood experiences. It can be trauma. It can be undigested pain. You know, it can be trauma isn't just an event. It can also be the absence of things, the absence of a present parent, the absence of a safe con- a safe space at school. You know, it can be a lot of different things. So are you saying me being postpartum and not getting on medicine or help for like four and a half years, the first part of her life could have attributed to it? I'm not going to go so far as to say that, at least not on a podcast. (laughs) No, I mean, look, we're human. There is That's the other thing is when we have kids who have gone through things, and part of our own resources of presence were being challenged, it's not fair to shame ourselves for that. We're human. For you to position yourself as the culprit or the villain is unfair. I know. And yet when we feel so helpless and as a as a parent or and we feel that we don't have the control of what's happening in their lives, blame is a way of trying to take control. Blame, shame, they're all ways of going, oh, if I, can, if I can put this on me, I actually will feel less helpless, even though it makes me feel like shit to feel the shame and the blame. In the same way that we're kind of talking about addiction to drama, it, I'm creating more suffering, but at least it's a distraction from the being in touch, actually feeling the underlying hurt. Yeah, I hear the urgency or the desire for how to cure it. And there's a lot of people out there in the same boat of saying like, whether it's for their children or for their loved ones or for themselves or simply for their own survival, you know, it's exhausting to be around people who are bringing you into challenge constantly, who where nothing can be simple. The ease is not allowed in the environment. And the decisions and behaviors that are being made are are affecting everyone. Even wilder, Nikki, is it's not just that they're creating an ecosystem, an environment of chaos, and then you have to live in it and the consequences of that. Their level of stress and the, the chronic nature of it is actually contagious. So it's called stress contagion. It's another one of those evolutionary things that you are welcome to ask if I created, but I didn't. Did you create it? No, no. I just researched it. Oh, way to research. Yeah, thanks. I'm Good a, job. You know, a research scientist. You know. Mm. Oh, you're going to add that to your uh, resume? What do you think of PhDs? I don't know. <laughs> so when you can give oh, out Oh, yeah, you didn't really do yours. <laughs> nope. No, bless, bless. Yeah. Maybe later. Okay. No. Because of... Let's say I'm running from something. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to tell you what I'm running from. And then I meet up with you on the trail and you see I'm – not only do you see that like my pupils have changed, my you have a sense of the muscularity of my body, my posture. You're reading that, but you're also registering a lot of other subtle cues that say to your body, oh, I don't know why they're stressed, why they're responding, but I need to do the same in order to survive. So you will have an automatic stress response 
Because whatever's chasing me, we need to both immediately keep going and run away from. Right. And it's called stress contagion. So we're not usually running away from things. But that mechanism, that biological mechanism doesn't change between whether I'm watching someone on a stage give a talk and they're terrified or a daughter that comes home and vents constantly and is unwilling to settle and relax, but has to keep stoking their own fire or calling all her friends to help, you know, maintain that level of stress activation. And that creates a biological response in you to raise your stress levels as well. And it's out of your control. Because this is our evolutionary positionality, our evolutionary process to make sure we all survive or the best to our pos- the possibility of surviving. Kind of like fight, flight, or flee. Yeah. They just added yeah. that flee one. But it's, it's actually before any of those. It's the energy that allows for action. That's the first part of a stress response. It's called activation. It's the energy that rises up to then go do something and adapt to a stressor, which is called mobilization. Mobilizations include fighting or fleeing or, yeah, all of that. Fight, flight, flee. Yeah, you you really nailed that nursery rhyme down. Mm -hmm. I think they added more, but I don't think they start with F. Befriend. Friend, flight, flight, flee. I can't even think of what they would use. There's a bunch of them. We have a lot of different ways of mobilizing that energy as a means to adapt. Okay, then how do I change it? Because all I ever do is flee or want to flee. Is that a different podcast? That's a different podcast, yeah. (laughs) Again? Oh my gosh. So many different podcasts. I know. Going back to how do I cure an addiction and drama, part of it is it, it takes a long time. It does. You know, having worked with thousands of people at this point and in my own process it it takes time to bring awareness that it's even happening it takes time to build the idea that spaciousness that settling that softness that ease could actually be safe it takes time to process if there was a trauma it takes time to process the trauma if there wasn't a trauma it takes time to change the sensory system to no longer believe that chaos is the status quo and that anything else is not foundational to who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was actually really good. You should put that in the book. Thanks. You should read my book. Someday. Someday. So it takes time and and there is actually a whole section of the book. It's, It's section three, just about how do we heal an addiction and trauma? How do we heal ourselves? Being in a proximity to those who are addicted to drama, knowing it does affect us severely and significantly. So we've come to that time of the show where we have a few different things that we do. Fun things? I would say vulnerable fun things, sure. Oh. Oh. This is a vulnerable practice or exercise I wanted to do with you. And it starts with this. We'll both do it. But what is your favorite thing about me? Oh. I know this is going to be hard for you. (laughs) I don't know. I love your passion. I love that you are mine. When you were born, I told everyone you were my baby. So you're my child. Uh So that's my favorite thing is that you're my child. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that you're passionate about things. I'm passionate about things. Mm -hmm. And that you don't go and hide when there's a situation. That's nice. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And you're tall. Mm. I like tall people. You took all my wow. height. Mm-hmm. You have a good metabolism. <laughs> Your hair's great. <laughs> these are not qualities. I, I guess these are qualities. Okay. Yeah. My favorite thing about you is I would say, and we've never done this. Like no. this is a very strange thing to do, especially in our household. I know. Or maybe most people's household. But I would say my favorite things about you are you constantly surprise me in a way that I really enjoy. Like you'll say something that's so funny that's just like out of the blue or I'll say something and you'll come up with a retort that I find like so smart and unexpected. And I love your playfulness. I love that you, we and I, you, we have brother and sister hangout times and we we go do like escape rooms and we don't actually care if we escape because we're having such a fun time. And sometimes we just like getting in the way of other people trying to escape. <laughs> and we go play in big like, toy stores. Big toy stores we've done, yeah. lots of laser tag. Oh, yeah. That's what I love about you. That's my favorite thing. I changed my answer. Oh. I love that you're so up you can... for anything. Oh, thank yeah. you. You're adventurous. What is your least favorite thing about me? Are you sure you want to do this? Is the list overwhelming? <laughs> is the list overwhelming to you? I see you about ex- to explode. Wow. Yeah, I don't no. know. That's not a thing we should talk about in front of other people. Well, then why don't you choose something that's... Uh, Somewhat appropriate? Yeah. Damn. Why don't you go first? Let me think on this one. You need some more time to think. I Because do. you're going to explode with the, the massive list of things that... I'm a processor. You, are you don't favorite. give me time to process. You go first. All right. The least favorite thing about you to me is that you don't center yourself. I'm very that, bad at that. That you don't put yourself in front before other people and that your needs and your feelings are often hidden in a bathroom. <laughs> and <laughs> it's probably my least favorite thing about you is that I don't know that it's hard to know what you you desire and brings you joy all the time. Hmm. And That's actually I, I a backhanded... What's the opposite of a compliment? A slap? Should I Google it? I can't remember. That is a very sweet backhanded slap. Is that what you said? Yeah, that yeah. is what I said. That was very sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. Mine are all super mean, so I'm not going to say <laughs> any of them. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. My least favorite quality of you is that you did not send me any white flowers to be behind me. That's very selfish of you. And you're oh, you a little mean judgy. For this podcast, mm-hmm. I'm a little judgy. You're a little judgy. Didn't you start the show telling us that you were a little judgy? Anything is possible. It was about bathrooms, but I, I heard it as oh, you're yes, a little judgy. Yes. I'm very judgy yeah. about bathrooms. I actually did send you flowers. And you might want to check your daughter's bedroom. Oh, God. <laughs> Probably. We should do Probably. a would you that... rather. Would you rather. Yes. I don't have any okay. upstairs. You want to play a different game? Yeah. I don't like emotional stuff. <laughs> Emotions are hard. It's, it's you know, in the, in the realm of opposite polarities, like, it is interesting that I became a psychologist who works with these things called emotions. Uh-huh. No. All right, fine. You got more questions. What's your more questions? So we now have a bit 
we now have a section that we like to do in the podcast. It's like we have a so pe- our our listeners write in, yeah, and they ask for advice. And the okay. column is called it's like a dear Abby, okay, but it's dear called Scotty, dear, Potty. dear Mid. No, okay, it's called dear Midwestern Mom, which I love the irony of this because you're actually a Midwestern mom. I am. So I'm gonna read the email we got. Okay, um, I'm ready. In in my. My mid best Midwestern mom accent, and then I will also answer as a Midwestern mom. Fabulous. Um, em- embodied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 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 Dear Midwestern mom, I want to quit my job. I've been working at the Massage Envy for about 10 years now. And while it makes me smile to see the bliss on people's faces as they're leaving, I don't feel like this is where I'm meant to be. How do I discover my passions? And when I find out what my passions are, how do I go ahead and quit my job? Signed, Massage Envy wants to quit. Oh my god! Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go, so you have some time to process. Thank you. Yeah. Oh gosh, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I have been to Massage Envy. I don't know the bliss you're talking about, mm-hmm. but it sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. But you gotta find what what gives you the inner smile. You know, like what what makes you feel good? And if if touching people in that, you know, hard Swedish kind of way just mm-hmm. doesn't do it for you, then you got to go on a journey Ooh. and you got to go ask yourself, does this make me happy? So mm-hmm. you got to go, you got to go try things, you know, yes. you got to go to the Mall of America and mm-hmm. you just got to go to all the stores and you got to sample answer, all the products. <laughs> Oh, because you're a Midwestern mom. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so my thing is you should do exactly what Scott said. You take some gummies, and then you walk around the mall, and you just like, what brings me internal happiness? Same thing as you, Scott. Oh, gosh. You know, I think that just sounds like a real good time. Mm -hmm. And would you go on the carousel? Nope. Would you go around Mm -mm. and around? No, Mm -mm. because that might make you sick. Mm -hmm. I think I would panic and freak out. Yeah. You know, the other things I would say is how do you find your passions is you find other people with passions and you steal theirs. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you'll go down to the, you know, to the... Denny's and you just listen. Mm-hmm. You'll go, yeah, you go down with that pen and paper, or if you got a quill, you take mm-hmm. that quill and a little bit of ink and you just mark down, oh, what are other people saying that makes them happy? It's like, I am going to build a log cabin. I am going to go fishing. I am going to go and work in corporate America and save the whales. And you go, does that resonate with me? Does that give me? The tingles inside that say, oh, that's that's the direction like a compass would, you know. Mm-hmm. And in, when you find where you want to go in life, where it just feels okay mm-hmm. or more than okay, because mm-hmm. you got to make sure it's okay plus. Mm-hmm. And I would say when you're ready to quit your job, I would send them a pie. And Ooh. inside the pie is a little sign. And so as they're I forking quit. it out. They fork out this sign that says, I'm leaving, mm-hmm. signed me. And mm-hmm. that's how you let people know mm-hmm. that you're not coming in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Another way that you could do it is a way that they did it in a movie that I once watched. I think it was Empire Records. Oh, yeah? oh my God. 
fabulous movie. So he was quitting the movie store and he was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm out. Who's coming with me? And then you just go. Uh-huh. That's that's my oh, recommendation. God, that, that sounds like a great adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure it would work real good when you need a letter of recommendation. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or what do they call it? A referral? Mm-hmm. A recommendation? Both. Yeah, it's a you know a recommendation. Mm-hmm. A letter of recommendation. Well, yeah, to get into grad school or whatever. Or another it is. job. Mm-hmm. So, the person who emailed us mm-hmm. about, you know, finding your passions mm-hmm. and quitting your job, I, you're welcome. I, yeah. I think we solved it for you. Absolutely. I think we did it. I think we nailed it. Mm-hmm. I think we have healed thousands of people with that advice. Millions. Millions. That's a bit Millions. exaggerated. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Gently Used Human podcast with Dr. Scott Lyons and friends. Visit GentlyUsed.com for fun extras, including submitting your questions for advice from a Midwestern mom. And don't forget to spill the tea and gossip about the show with all your friends and frenemies. And show some love by giving us five stars and leaving a review in your favorite apps. This helps us connect with all the other gently used humans out there. Oh, and by the way, you look fierce today.